you've already prepared, Jared, to, to share your word. Thank you, God, for giving us hearts to receive. Lord, there's so many ways we can thank you. Forgive us, Lord, for not thanking you enough. Help us to continue to be people of gratitude who love you and honor you with the way that we thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. First Peter 5, 6-11 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. What a privilege it is to worship with you this morning. Good morning. Good morning. When we say good, we really mean it's good, church. Amen? Amen. I just want to start off by saying God is mighty. Can we say that together? Can we internalize this truth today more than any other truth that we have in the world? Can we say God is mighty? Can we say that today? God is mighty. Can we say that? Can we believe that truth today, church, that God is mighty? Will you believe that with me? Okay. I I, I need you to be with me today. I need you to be with me. You're my church. You're my people. You're my people. I need you. I need you. I need God's Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit teaches and instructs us. God is also merciful. Everybody say, God is merciful. Today we get an opportunity, an opportunity to meditate on the character of God. And then we get an opportunity to think about our Christian response. I say our because it's us. Everybody look at your neighbor in here. You don't fight alone. Look at your friends. Look at your family. We don't fight alone. We get to meditate today on the character of God and our Christian response. Before I dive in, I would like to pray for you and I. One, I want to pray for this sound system. I don't know what just happened right there. I don't know what that is. But I want to pray for you and me because we need God's help. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, yes, we do pray, Lord, that nothing would get in the way of us hearing this truth today. Lord, you are mighty. We ask that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we need you. Lord, more than anything else right now, we need to know this truth. We need to know that you are mighty. And Lord, therefore, we submit to you, humbling ourselves before you. And Lord, I humble myself right now. Lord, believing that you will work powerfully through the word 
here that we have. And Father, that you will speak to us in a way that is transforming, renewing, and Lord, that will change our lives and and our neighbors' lives around us. Father, would you do that today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 6 and 7 brings us into a new section or a summary statement for the whole book of 1 Peter. Peter, after giving some distinct instructions to the elders, turns his attention to the whole church at large. You see this clearly as he transitions with the word, therefore. Everybody say, therefore. In verse 6, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is not all he does with the structure of these of this passage before he gets to some of his closing remarks in verses 12 through 14. Peter does some really beautiful stuff in this passage. And I want you to see it's so beautiful. Peter uses a literary device called an inclusio. Everybody say inclusio to get his point across. It's a literary tool that acts like a bracket or a frame by which the author places similar material or themes at the beginning and end of a section with the, pers- with the purpose of alerting the reader to something important. Guys, he's got something important for us to say today. He, he starts off by saying, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. At the end, verse 11, he says, to him be the dominion. I'm going to explain what that means here in a little bit. But that dominion word is not supposed to be really dominion. It's another word that encapsulates the rest of the, the, the paragraph so to get us to get this idea that God is mighty. God is a mighty God. And to him be the glory. Man. I, 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 my, my, <laughs> I'm so excited about this, y'all. I, I don't know if y'all get, man, God, God is doing something special, special in the world. And sometimes we are so blinded to it. We're so blinded to it. I want you to see it. Now, there could be other purposes for the inclusio. But Peter is using this inclusio as an intention grabber. He wants us to get it. Let's get it, guys. Peter wants to move the church to some key themes that he's been pointing to them to in the whole letter. In particular, God is in control. That if we submit to God's plans in our exile, we can stand firm in the face of suffering. And God has all the power. Those are some key themes that God is trying to get across, that Peter's trying to use this literary tool and device to change and transform our minds and the thinking more in line with God's truth and less in line with the world's truth. It's all centered around the word might in verse 6 and verse 11. If you're not with me, it's okay. Don't worry. We're going to walk through the text. We're going to walk through the text, and you're going to get there with me, I promise you. By the end, hopefully, you'll be standing up and singing and dancing. I don't know if we do that here. That's okay. That's all right. It's all right. If we don't do that, that's all right. Do it in your heart or something, you know what I'm saying? Verse 6 starts off by saying again, humble yourselves. God is first displayed as mighty, someone you should submit to, 
Peter here is again dealing with the reality that his people still need to know for certain that the God they worship is the God who is still in control. Peter needs us to know that the God whom we as Christians ultimately serve above all powers of this world and all people in positions of authority and all societies that wage war against our way, that God, that God is the same God who has the whole world in his hands. Y'all, I was listening last night and uh, it was it was so beautiful. Do y'all know who Mahalia Jackson is? Um, Mahalia Jackson is a beautiful singer, a beautiful singer. And if you want to get delivered, all you need to do is turn on YouTube, type in Mahalia Jackson. This ain't even in the sermon, man. I'm I'm just giving this away for free, y'all. All you have to do, turn on YouTube. Mahalia Jackson, promise you. He got the whole world in his hands. Just just sit there and listen and watch what God does in your life. I promise. It was so good, y'all. He got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Amen, right? Isn't that true, church? This is why we humble ourselves, y'all. This is why we humble ourselves. It is not based upon our circumstances at all, but on the merit and trust of God's faithfulness and character. God is mighty. Everybody say, God is mighty again. The term mighty hand is not foreign to the scriptures. In fact, it's all over the scriptures, all over the scriptures. Hey, if you want to study more about the mighty hand of God, Joel B. Green has a a really dope section in his commentary on 1 Peter. And he's reflecting on a book by Trimper Longman called God is a Warrior. And it's about God's mighty hand. But let me download some some of his thoughts real quick about what he says about God's mighty hand. Because Peter is doing something really special here. Listen. I want to encourage you. I look across the room. Y'all, Peter was unskilled and ordinary. Do y'all get that? He's unskilled and ordinary. And yet Peter is writing some things that scholars centuries later are still pouring themselves over. And I spent hours and hours reading this text trying to figure out, Peter, what are you talking about? Peter, an ordinary man was used by God. Listen, if you feel like today that you can't be used by God because you're not a professional minister or something like that, get that out your mind. Get that out your mind. God has a plan for you. He's got a plan for all of us in here. He wants to use us, every single one of us, in this room right here and right now. And he uses unskilled, ordinary man. What God can do with an ordinary man is believable. It's it's, it's unbelievable, y'all. It's incredible. I, I don't even know if that was even part of the thing. Let me, let me get back to where I was. Okay. What, what Peter is not so subtly pointing out here is that we have a tradition steeped in truth. And what we can know about God's character is that he is the same God 
who did the same thing by his mighty hand to rescue his covenant people from slavery in Egypt. Y'all, it was important that we went through the book of Exodus some years and months ago, right? Israel's story, hopefully we saw, is our church story. We are the new Israel. Peter's trying to get us to see we are God's chosen nation, a holy nation, a holy priesthood. Let me quickly show you a parallel in one particular passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 5 through 9. I don't have all the time in the world to go through and show you every single parallel, so I just, I'll leave this to you later to do um, on your own study. But I'm going to give you one parallel that you can see in this passage. You can see a ton between this passage and Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 5 through 9. Let me read it to you. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. And then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror and signs and wonder. And he brought us into the place he, and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. That is our story, too. Like I said, I don't have all the time to draw all the parallels in that passage. One thing you can go home and do for yourself is to do that and pull it up and put two Bibles together and do it. Just read through it. Look at all the parallels. It's so beautiful. Peter has so many parallels for us. He's trying to point us to this truth that here in verse 8 in particular, when God gets involved, when God gets involved, the game's over. The game's over. God's mighty hand prevails every time. God's power is absolute. God's mighty hand is a symbol and a sign. It always points to God being in control of all things. Can we say God is mighty one more time? God is mighty. Why is this important, you might ask? Because Peter, again, is trying to get us to see with real eyes. He wants us to see reality. Did you hear that, church? God wants us, Peter wants us to see reality. Sometimes it's hard to see reality for what it is, right? There's so many circumstances going on. Peter wants the church to be people who see reality, to see things God's way, and to submit to his way, which is actually an act of true humility. Did you hear that? Seeing God, seeing it God's way is an act of true humility. Peter also wants us to see that suffering is less of an anomaly, an anomaly, okay, and more of an expectation. That's what he wants us to see. 
That's part of the reality that we see as a church. Do you see that, church? He wants us to see that. But he definitely doesn't want us to forget this other truth that goes along with it. He wants us to see that God is still mighty over all things and in control of all things. What is even greater news, though, is that God often, with his mighty hand, is paired with a hand of mercy. God is not just the mighty God who can transform all the world's ills. God is also mighty and merciful and a God who walks with us through the suffering and not just from the suffering. I'm going to say that statement one more time because I want that to go deep, okay? God is, is not just a mighty God who can transform all the world's ills. God is also a mighty and merciful God who walks with us through the suffering and not just from it. Y'all, it is God who in verse 6 will exalt you in due season. It is God in verse 7 who has the mercy and strength to handle all your anxieties because he, what, cares for you. One of the ways you can embody humility, I just want to say this for you, for you to, to, to get this, is one of the ways you can embody humility, according to this text, is that you cast your anxieties on God. By doing so, you become like Jesus, who earlier in the book handed himself over to the one who judges justly, chapter 2, verses 23. Remember, this is a summary statement of the rest of the book. He, he also helps us to see that when we cast our anxieties, we become like the women of faith. Aren't y'all glad for some holy women of faith in the scriptures? Isn't it beautiful when you see holy women of faith in the scriptures? It, they place their hope in God and submitted to his way, even though it was hard. You can see that in chapter 3, verse 5. Be a casting anxiety on God type of person. And watch what he will do in your life, church fam. It is also God who, after a little while, from a view of eternity, gives us sustaining grace that, so that we can endure. It is also God who calls you to eternal glory through his son, Jesus Christ, in verse 10. It is God, it is God, it is God, the mighty and merciful. Amen. But I have a question for you, church. The question is, you might want to write this down. How do you see the world? How do you see the world? Have you been stuck in a rut lately? Believing lies about the church or what will happen next? Has the suffering and pain of this world jaded you? to the realities of God's working in the world. Chauncey, I'm so grateful that you spent that time in our corporate prayer reminding us of how thankful we can be. Are you jaded, church, to all the good stuff that God is doing? Don't lose hope, church. I've been recently going around asking folks, some of y'all know, I've been asking you, 
What are some of the good things you see God doing in the world? What do you see? What are some of the good things you see God doing in your life and in the church? Because I think personally, this is just my opinion. The world is trying to get us to focus on big issues and the headlines that are all true and very important, y'all. They're very important. Because God doesn't want us really to be naive about any of those things or to minimize human sin. But fam, most of the issues that you see are very one-sided. They're pretty much anti-church in their communication. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled, church. We can be lulled by Satan into a state of believing the worst about the bride of Christ. I know I'm stepping on somebody's toes in here. I know, I know we can do that easy. Don't forget, the church is God's bride. Pick any hot topic. Don't minimize the church's sometimes cooperation with evil. But don't fall into the trap of hating the church. Don't let him lull you to sleep. That's all I'm saying. But if you're a God-trusting, God-trusting Christian, you can be assured of this, though. When we submit to God's plan and when Christians suffer, we have assurance of God's personal presence, concern, and intervention. Verse 10 says that God himself will... The grammar of the text is a statement of fact. It's not left up to interpretation. It is fact that God himself will come to pass. God will himself strengthen, encourage, empower us. It will come to pass in the future, church. It hasn't happened yet. And there is no guarantee that it will it'll happen in this life. Sometimes I hear... Um, People who are like really prosperity prone, they they plug a message that says that you're going to be delivered in this life. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. But what is true is that God will take care of it one day. And we can count on it as finished. That is the character of our God. And he will set it all right. And through his victorious grace... God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Unlike the rest of the book, Peter is he's doing something again with his literary tools. Remember, this is an ordinary dude. I, man, Peter is so encouraging, man. I tell you, he's so encouraging with this, man. Unlike the rest of the book, he changes his writing style a little bit in verse 10. And just to point out four key ways he wants us to understand. He wants us to see God will set everything right for the church. The first word is restore, which means to fit into place or to fulfill a purpose. To fit into place or fulfill a purpose. 
Yes, God can restore what the suffering has broken, but God has a higher purpose than that. God is at work to use your suffering as well as a tool to cause you to become what he has called you to be and to likewise help others throughout through it. We're going to see that here as we get to verse 9. He also says confirm, which means to fix something in such a way that makes it stable. It's a picture of reinforcing. Do I have any people in here who like peer houses or anything like that? You know what I'm talking about. Or put a, a, a balanced beam in the middle of a home so that it became, so it can take some load bearing. That's the kind of stuff it's talking about right here. To confirm. It's a picture reinforcing the thing so that it's firm and does not collapse. This is how God works in our lives, church. He confirms us so that our faith is firm. The next word is strengthen. And this is only used here in the New Testament, this word strengthen, the Greek word strengthen. It simply means to give strength or to make strong. As you are suffering, God will give you strength as strength is needed. Isn't it a wonderful thing that God gives you strength? Isn't it beautiful? Man, we need God's help. We need God's strength. And the fourth word is establishes you, which is similar in meaning to the word confirm. But confirm means to provide support, while establish means to lay a foundation. Y'all remember that story in Matthew 7, 25, when Jesus told his disciples, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. It was founded on the rock. That's the kind of foundation God is going to give you, church. He's going to build you. He's going to restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. And that firm foundation will not be shaken. Amen? And no one, of course, modeled viewing the world in this manner like Jesus. As I was meditating on this, I was just blown away by the fact that Jesus completely embodied this lifestyle. He lived it. He thought like this. He modeled this more than anybody else in this world. There's nobody who can do it like Jesus can. Let me let me show you how. Jesus humbled himself and submitted himself to the Father's plan. Y'all remember the garden story? He literally casted all his anxieties on the Father like for real. He was praying with stressed blood coming out of his pores. God, would you take this cup from me? He, this wasn't a, a, just a, a small thing. He's saying, God, I see the cross coming. Would you take this cup from me, Lord? But not my will. But yours be done. He submitted his very life. And subsequently, it was his father's plan to have his own son crushed and to die a sinner's death on a tree to save humanity from sin. Jesus, after dying on the cross for sin and suffering a little while, beat death. And because of his submission to the mighty hand of God, 
the Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus, restoring, confirming, strengthening, and establishing him. And at the proper time, exalted him above every name in heaven and on earth. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus thought this way. He modeled it. Jesus, after taking the keys from hell, had all the power and authority. And on the, and one of the first assurances he gave to his disciples was this. I will be with you always to the end of the age. The mighty and merciful character of God wins again in the ugly and brutal and glorious cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that, church? Do you believe that? That's the, that's the God we serve. That's the character of our God. If you're here today and you don't know this God, you don't know the character of our God, then you can believe that. You can see it right here in our text. This is the character of our God. Why don't you submit to God's plan and his way? Church, church, we can do that too. Day by day, month by month, year by year, confirming conforming to the image of our invisible creator. Lord, Lord, help us. Lord, help us understand this. That could be a sermon right there. I'm, I, I think I could, I could stop right there and just talk about the mighty and merciful hand of God, y'all. And I, I just want to, like, sit in it some more with y'all. Like, can we do a Bible study afterwards and keep studying? I didn't want to leave studying the the word today. I don't know if you can tell if I'm excited about the uh, about the text, y'all. But man, it was it was so good for my soul. I needed to hear this. There's so many lies. There's so much discouragement. And yet God is mighty and merciful. But I would be Remiss if I didn't take the second half of this passage, which is our Christian response, the second part of our sermon title today. So what then ought the Christian to do in the in-between? By God's grace, here's the answer, imitate Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 10:25. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Fam, in verse 10 it says that we are in Christ. So we literally walk in his way. The first Christians were called Christians for a reason, church. They look like Jesus. But here's the beauty of our union to Jesus. When we imitate our master, it is never by our own strength. We don't have to fight the battle in our own strength. But instead, as we grab hold of Jesus and our birthright that we have in him, it is God. It is God who takes care of the rest. That is why we simply stay alert 
listen, if I was like super cool and this was like three years ago or two years ago or something like that, this would be a perfect sermon title. Stay woke. It's a little bit outdated. I know. I know. Stay woke. That's what, that's the, that's the, that's the, the, the heart behind this. This, this part right here. Stay awake. Uh, uh, the ESV doesn't quite capture it in, 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 in verse 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Okay, that, that's fine. That's fine. But it, it, it means more like, stay awake, stay alert. It, it kind of brings back to, to a tradition that's really beautiful in our Christian tradition. Jesus himself often in, 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 in the Gospels would say to his people, hey, listen, you don't know the day or the hour. You don't. You don't know the day or the hour. So stay alert. The bridegroom could come at any time. Stay alert. Be watchful. Stay alert. Alert. Why would he tell us to stay alert? Well, we have a current threat. Yes, we do. But we have a bigger fish to fry. And that is why Satan's slander is instantly brought up here by Peter. Our problems in the world run deeper than other people, not to minimize human sin and responsibility to sin. But the Bible is clear that the circumstances and the people being used to inflict pain are truly being used for something more than just the present dangers that Christians face. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6 says, which helps us to remember that we love our enemy. But there's more at stake than that and more at stake than we often think. Okay, think we don't think a lot about this. The enemy is roaring prowling around seeking someone to destroy. And this ain't just about our current problems on this earth. God wants us to stay strong because the devil is playing an eternal game. Eternal life and death are at stake. Satan's chief goal is to get the church to choose apostasy or falling away from grace if he could so do so. That's his goal. That's Satan's goal. Get us to fall away. So the next time some suffering comes our way, we need to consider, what is this for? We often have a temporary view of suffering and battles. Satan, I guarantee, does not. Satan has an eternal battle he is waging war towards. At all times. Will we see it God's way? Will we? Man, it's a hard word. That's why he also says in verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith. Well, how do we do that? One of the ways we can do that is we meditate on the scriptures and the promises of God. Thank goodness the Bible talks a lot about our new ability to resist through faith. Amen? 
James 4, 7 and Ephesians 6 talk similarly about resisting the devil. I love James 4, 7 because it says when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. We get an opportunity through our faith to cling to Jesus, imitate him, and the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen gets to transform our hearts and our minds. We, we, we walk steadfastly towards God, towards God. Guys, we resist with confident hope and assurance that everything will be as God's word says it will be in the end. So we stand firm in truth and meditate on the scriptures and God will help us, help us to resist firmly in the, in our faith. But the second way, it was kind of interesting to me. I didn't think about this that, that often. Another surefire way is given to us right here in the text. It is the practice or presence or discipline of remembering that we're not alone. That's interesting, right? The practice or discipline of remembering that we are not alone. Guys, as we just prayed for the Afghan refugees making their way to Oklahoma, it has me thinking about what would be a source of encouragement to me if I was an Afghan refugee coming. I wonder if, I don't want to make light of their suffering, because you know, you know they're suffering. But I wonder if knowing that I have other brothers and sisters along with me on the journey would not be a great sense of encouragement to me when I feel lonely and isolated. Think about that. That's exactly what Peter is pointing us to here in verse 9. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing in your mind, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Shared experiences are a powerful tool of encouragement. And what he's saying is, is that Christians have a deep connection with our brothers and sisters around the world, whether we realize it or not. And that is because we literally are one body. Have you thought about this a lot, church? Have you looked at some of the stuff that is going on in the world right next to you? You can do this locally too, right? I've had friends that when they were going through some stuff and I ended up going through something, I remembered their steadfast faith. And I remembered the way that they walked towards Jesus, even in the midst of their suffering. And I was reminded of how I needed to stay steadfast and how I needed to continue to walk towards Jesus, even though it was hard and difficult. Have you ever had that happen to you, church? Have you ever had it happen to you where you were reminded of some of the simple blessings that we have here in America? And how some of our brothers and sisters around the world struggle. Guys, I wrestle with often, am I rich? I look at my house and I go, am I rich? It bothers me sometimes, just confessing that to you. And then I see my brothers and sisters 
across the world. And I think about their steadfast faith and I hear stories and I'm reminded to keep pressing in and keep going. One of the ways you can resist the devil who prowls around is just by remembering and practicing the discipline of knowing that you have other brothers and sisters who are in the fight. You are not alone, church. You don't have to do this on your own strength. Why is this important? Have you guys ever seen Lions Hunt? Have you guys seen Lions Hunt? It's interesting, y'all. It's interesting. Y'all, lions often, man, female lions, they do a lot of the, the hunting, right? But when they get a big prey, one of the things that happens is that the, 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 the alpha male lion in the pack in the pride roars really loudly. Like, hey, I'm here. And the pack scatters. The one who is weak and feeble, hurt, he gets separated from the pack. Those female lions, they flank them. And they start trying to get it down. But if it's a big buffalo, they call on that big lion. And that lion comes and he finishes the job. Listen, Satan ain't fighting fair. You can look at the rest of the Bible. You can see it with the man who was torn up, the Gadisarian, the demoniac who had many demons in him, the legion, the demons. There's demons. There's powers and principalities that we fight against. They're fighting against us and waging war all the time. Satan is not waiting. He's not fighting fair. He's not. So how do we how do we even the school? Well, one, we have a line from the tribe of Judah. We got Jesus on our side. That's enough. That's enough. So you find yourself alone. Call on Jesus. Call on Jesus and he's enough for the fight. But God is so gracious and merciful that he gives us even more. He gives us more. He allows us to have brothers and sisters in Christ fighting the good fight of the faith. And they get to stir and encourage our souls so that we can continue. And that buffalo, if you're hurt in here, those other buffaloes come alongside and say, come on, come on. Get out of here, lion. That's the kind of God we have. And that's the kind of community that we have. Locally and globally. So that we can be continued to fighting the good fight. One application. I'm almost done, y'all. I'm almost done. One application might be that for those in here who are walking through a tough season, that you keep inviting the body into your burdens and keep resisting the devil. You have no idea. I mean, literally no idea how many times you've encouraged my soul. And I just look across the room and I know there's stories. You have no idea. And I know there's people in this room, too. When you invited me to share your burdens, you were inviting me into healing. And there's no way around it. You're, you thought you was getting healed. I was getting healed as well. 
after we suffered a little while, following the way of our master, the same power used to resurrect Jesus will deliver us by his grace and call us to eternal glory in Christ. When our eternal, eternal destiny is caught up in the mighty, merciful hands of our Lord and Savior, and when we know that it's just for a little while in the grand scheme of things, it will make you live differently, doesn't it? You remember those times where you thought, man, this is only temporary. How it changed your output in the situation, your outlook, makes you think differently about the situation. It makes you think, I can do this. I can persevere with joy. I can fight today. And guess what, church? We can. I mean... Yeah, we can. <laughs> we can do this. Because guess what? We have already won by God's mighty hand. No wonder why we finished the text with verse 11. Remember we talked about an inclusio earlier? It says, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word dominion here is a very similar word to the word that we see in verse 6. In fact, it would be better translated, and you know, English speakers don't say this this way. That's why they translate it this way. It would be better translated, though, might. Might. So submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. To him be the might forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So what better thing that we could do today, then, is to finish by doing this, right? Can we praise the Lord? And this is why we do this every week. This is why we do this every week. We finish the sermon not by ending and then being done, but we finish by a response, by taking communion and fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're saying, Lord, thank you so much for your body and blood of sacrifice for our sins. We are so grateful for that. Then we respond with praise and worship. Who, who it, G, Jesus is, the mighty and merciful God. Do you, do you, do you hear this church? I, I, I hope it gets in your, your heart today that God is mighty and merciful. And it is to him belongs all the glory and might and power. And there's nobody like our God. And there's nobody who has the authority like our God. And there's nobody who we should praise like our God. Because God is mighty. God is mighty. So we get an opportunity, in fact, to respond with praise. Can you imagine this? You got a church that you're riding to knowing that they're suffering crazy amounts and that they're going to suffer more to come. And the only thing, and the only thing that's going to sustain them is God's mighty hand and God's might. Church, I think we need to recenter ourselves on the fact that we need God to be mighty in our midst.
It's not that he's not doing it. I believe it's that we're not seeing it. Let our hearts be encouraged today then to respond to this message by praising. We got these guys up here, they sing, you know, and they're they're singing and they're trying to lead us in praise. But I think there's some really beautiful things that happen when we take what they're saying and it becomes truth for us. We internalize it and then we respond by singing. Not that we just sing rote words on a screen, but instead that we see those truths as reality. And it transforms the very heart of hearts that we have. It transforms who we are. And we become people who are marked by this truth. When that happens, y'all, we will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, established. And we will help others do the same. I want to finish by closing by praying. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. I don't know uh, where you've been this week, this month, um, this year. But I I want to pray for a breakthrough. Um, I want to pray that we would see God's mighty hand. We would love the church. That we would see God as mighty over all things, no matter what it looks like circumstantially. I want to pray over you. So here in a second, let's, let's take a second and bow our heads. And I just want to give you a chance, if there's anything in your heart that you have not been submitting to the Lord, any worries, anxieties, to cast it on him because he cares for you. After a little bit, I'll close us in prayer. Mighty God, you are worthy to be praised. To you be the might forever and ever. And Father, we believe that. The areas that we've been struggling to believe that truth. Lord, would you give us the grace to overcome. Help our hearts to see you for who you are mighty and powerful, sitting on a throne. Lord, we don't just pray for the changing of our circumstances. We pray also for the changing of our hearts. Give us joy, no matter the circumstance. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.